estás solo? Luminous beings, Zoe. Not this crude matter. Communications disruption can mean only one thing. This is Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode 134 of the Jam Transmissions Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Rigby and Weva. It's snowy outside. It's hurting my bum knee. I'm, I got like Bullwinkle's knee when there's bad weather. I'm kind of pissed off about it, but I'm not gonna let it get me down just cause the weather's shitty outside. Um, I brought a friend in to help lift my mood. Okay, and uh, it, by way of introduction, I'm gonna say he is the patriarch of the first family of Star Wars. He is the patriarch of the Rogue Rebels podcast, patriarch of SoCal, no sleeve wearing, throwing it in my face while it's cold as hell where I'm living. I'm not digging it, Sal. It's my friend Sal Perales. How you doing, buddy? Hey, what's up? How are you doing over there in a cold, icy snowland or where, where is it you live again? Where are you at? In Michigan. I, I live yeah. where Crosshair and Mayday were. Yeah, you live over at that outpost. Yeah. yeah, on Barton Lieutenant Lowland was over there not uh, cleaning up them streets, right? No, yeah. <laughs> not taking care of that base. He's not taking care of shit. Mm-mm. That's how the Empire but, plays. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, de- I'll deal with him later. Um, so what's going on with you, man? I was listening to the show earlier. You and Lizzie have been knocking it out with some of the reviews lately. Mm-hmm. How are things in uh, Southern California? It's Southern snowy California. You guys got some snow last week, man. I got like, uh, you know, uh, I got 20 or 30 minutes of uh, indiscriminate particulate (laughs) precipitation (laughs) on me where I was like, this isn't hail and this isn't, I don't know what this is. Apparently it's called grapple. And I was out in it the other day. It was, it was pretty exciting, Rick. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I know it's nothing to you guys over there with your snow plows and your, uh, the, your like uh, glass head car windshield scrapers and things like that. Uh, yeah. But I was cold and I had to put on sleeves. Well, I'm, I'm, I, you, you, you don't have them out right now. You're flexing. Yeah, no, we're in good. The, in the nicer weather. So mm-hmm. like good on you. My window right there. Boom. boom. Oh, oh, yeah. nice. which, way, which way is the beach? Yeah, boom, boom. Over there. <laughs> luckily, luckily all everybody else can't, can't see all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you got to put those guns away. We're going to have a more civilized Look, conversation. For no less Gonzalez. It's a whole different kind of <laughs> thing. Cool, cool. Well, now, uh, listen, uh, you mentioned on the show, on the latest episode on the Rogue Rebels, you and Lizzie mm-hmm. were talking about Metamorphosis and Outpost. Um, guys, go listen to the Rogue Rebels. They're an awesome podcast. They don't just cover the TV shows. They talk a lot about the books, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Talk a lot about comic books, which we're going to talk a lot about in a minute. We got a lot we're going to go through. But go check it out. But in the latest episode, uh, you mentioned, Lizzie asked if you had seen snow before. And you said that it snowed in San Antonio in 1984, mm-hmm. right? And you and the fam, I guess you guys were living in Texas at the time. Right. Um, 
So we may have crossed paths because when it snowed in San Antonio in 1984, I was there. We had my, uh, yeah, my Theo lived there uh, with my cousins. And so they, they lived there and it snowed on a vacation we took. Uh So I remember we had pictures in their backyard. They made like a little six, eight inch snowman because that was about Uh all the snow that they could (laughs) muster Uh together. It was a little, a little Mieber Gascon snowman. Uh Um, Look, that was big to us at the time. We were only as tall as our two. Yeah, exactly, man. You you might have been a little bit taller than me at the time. I don't know. But yeah. um, 1984, all right? So we're talking after Return of the Jedi. How old were you in 1984? Uh, so that would I guess I would have been three. Hmm. Was it 80? It was 84 or 86? Because now I'm getting confused. It was it was in that time frame. So I now I'm thinking it might have been 86. Maybe I misspoke because I think I was. Like the whole reason that we moved back to San, my, my dad's, that's where I grew up, San Antonio, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think we settled down because like I had to go to school, so we couldn't live on the road anymore. <laughs> so like, yeah. uh, I think I, maybe I, maybe it was 86. Like now this is a Googleable question, you know, <laughs> but uh, so I think if I, I think I would have been like five. All right. So l- let's just say mid eighties, you know, at yeah, that time, was you your dad a musician? Yeah. Okay. So you guys, you guys lived down the road. You were, you were like carnies living on yeah, the road. It was, it was, uh, my dad is, my dad is Joe Jama. My dad was in a band for all of his life. Now he's still, you know, it, it was, he was in like the Royal Jesters. He was like one of the big of like, especially if you've been through San Antonio and you hear about like that West side Chicano soul, he mm-hmm, was like mm-hmm. one of the, he's one of the patriarchs of that. <laughs> You know, awesome, what I mean? man. I, and, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's really cool. And like we yeah, spent a lot of music. time in San Antonio. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And like there's a music yeah. scene down there. You know what I mean? So like between yeah, San Antonio we, and Austin and all that. Yeah, I'm gonna, we're going to have to make it back down there at some point. I still got yeah. some family down that way. Did you pick up any of the uh, any of the musical talents? I mean, I played guitar. I was in a band for a while. I was in a metal band for a few years. I did acoustic stuff for a while. And I, my na- like some of you guys who remember my personal Twitter, Sal, I make music and my personal, like I used to make music. I was, I scored movies. I did all kinds of stuff. So like, I guess, yeah, <laughs> but like I got some guitars on the wall, but um, you know, not like he did. I didn't, I never quite made a living uh, the way that he did. You know, my dad has never had like a job job. You know, whereas yeah. I've had several <laughs> that are horrible, <laughs> uh, and I wish I could just make money, you know, strumming a guitar and singing away. But well, not know. all of us can be Eric Strothers. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, only Eric Strothers and my dad, you know, <laughs> you know, got that uh, under the belt. Yeah, good. On, listen, good on those guys for having that kind of talent. Good yeah, for you, man. I mean, being able to do that kind of stuff too. Like, I don't have a lick of like musical. Um. I don't want to say know-how, but like I've never learned how to play any instruments or anything like Mm -hmm. that. But something I wanted to bring up kind of along with that, with music and kind of being around um, a performer, as it were, not only do you guys do like costuming, you know, people know you guys, do you get your your rebels dress ups Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, But you also do like lightsaber for lack of a better word, performances, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you get, yeah. you get out there with the Sabre Guild and do all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you see having played music and stuff like that? Like, do you see any correlation between 
performative music and what you do with the lightsaber in terms of like having a captive audience and kind of like reading moods and like things like that. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I I heard you talk a little bit about this when you were talking about DJing and stuff like that, how you really have to kind of like read the room. So I don't know if it's like that far into it, because it seems like, you know, like the way you were describing it, I really liked what you were saying about how like you have to find the feel and like get, you know, the way like you get to connect to these people or whatever it is, uh, find that vibe. Whereas sometimes when you're doing performative stuff, it's not like it's almost like the show is the show and you can like tweak it towards whatever's working and away from things that maybe don't work. And same thing with music, especially if you're mm-hmm. playing and performing music, but generally the show is the show and the songs are the songs. And so you're, you're a little more limited in those things. Like, I don't know if, you know, let's just take like a Saber Guild show or something uh, like that. Um, a lot of the shows that we do, they're very like, they're pre-recorded. Uh, so you have like, you know, we're like lip syncing and we're doing like, you know, so it's all sort of set up. So like, boom, show in, show out, you know, your fight is 45 seconds. If you want to, you can throw an extra saber flip in there or, you know, anything else to do, uh, you can, and you can like wiggle in that room, but you still are sort of tied to that sort of thing. But then you'll do a small show at like a library or something where maybe you don't have all that kind of equipment. So you're kind of working off like a boom box that just playing a little star music, star Wars music in the background mm-hmm. while you're going off uh not off script but like live and that's the thing where you can really like you can call out people you that you like you can do things and make it a more individualized like uh if you heard steel talking about when we set up the show for his kids party we were able to right, work yeah. it into the show and call him out by name and to that kid it was <gasps> like super cool and mind-blowing and apparently to steel <laughs> as well uh you know, Steel, so, Steel's yeah. the biggest kid we all know. That's fair. I mean, let's just be That's real true. about it. His kid's big know? too, man. Like every time I every time his kid has another <clears throat> birthday, I'm like, dude, this kid's like almost as tall as Axel, bro. <laughs> like you know, and then you, we look back at Steel and we're like, Yeah, the Steel is like the tallest out of all of us. <laughs> that kind of makes sense, I guess. Okay. Uh you know, and music is the same thing. Like the songs are the songs, but you find the vibes in the songs that float a certain way towards wherever it is. And it's it is kind of finding that vibe. But uh, I don't know. It's like, so yeah, you do kind of try to that, but I feel like you might be a little more limited because you have, you're working within a certain confine. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But I was thinking too, like, especially you're saying like you were in a metal band. What was the name of the band? Ah, Chunk. Okay. Short and to Uh, the point. Yeah. Easy, easy. We were like, dude, our riffs are so like, and then, uh, and then well, it, I thought it was just going to be like four dudes doing the truffle shuffle. Yeah, yeah. Then it was we were also like it's the dude from Goonies, and, and it turned into like yeah, we can't. We this is it. This is what it is. Uh, now yeah. it's same along those lines too. Like, do you see a correlation between like the physicality of playing metal and maybe moving around? I don't know how you played. If you were somebody who moved around on the stage a lot, or if you were like a, play, a guy who just kind of right, stayed in one right. spot. But do you equate the physicality of performing specifically metal to what you're doing with a lightsaber? Because I, I like, I've seen videos. I've, I've seen the YouTube clips. Of oh, you have you seen Lightsaber Academy? Like I have seen <laughs> Lightsaber YouTube? Academy on, on uh, Star Wars YouTube Kids. You check it out, everybody. It's really <laughs> awesome. Well, I look at that or some of the other just um, shows that you've done. 
And you said it's like 45 seconds, man, like a minute of just like a straight whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's almost like if I had to set a comparison performatively, like a guitar solo, you know what I mean? Where like you work it out, you know, what's going to work well. There's a big payoff somewhere. You get, Mm -hmm. there's a hook, whatever it is. But then I think about the physicality of that and how that translates, not just sonically what you're playing, but like how you move, how you translate the sound into performance to get other people hyped up into it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for sure. Like it's all performative. Like when you're playing metal, like, you know, even like with the music and stuff, we were very like my thing has always to been be like true and raw and authentic. Like that, that that's the thing that I was always trying for when I was doing, whether it's music or lightsaber or whatever it is that I'm performing, you're throwing that energy, you know, like you talked about too, the energy that the audience is there and the energy that comes back. Um, and even doing something like, you know, like a saber guild show, there are kids, you know, you're, you're, you have a live audience. So when you mm-hmm. have that, there's that energy in this room and you can see the kids that are into it and you can see the kids that kind of don't care or maybe the older kids or the parents. But if you can captivate, you know, like you captivate whoever you can, you know, when you point out, when you see, even when the lines are pre-recorded, you can still point to a kid and lip sync, you know, and you there will be a connection, you know, mm-hmm. and it might seem silly or whatever to, you know, whatever 15 year old or adult who doesn't have kids maybe. You know, but there might be a steel over there looking at his kid and later when his kid is like, and the Jedi looked at me or the Sith or whoever, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's going to be a moment. And the whole idea kind of behind Saber Guild was, uh, you know, I think it's evolved past that now. But it's like a, we're, we, we do these events mostly for like community events or charity events. So you, you'll hear me mention libraries a lot because I actually, those are some of my favorite ones. And these, in most cases, are kids that probably can't, they're not at Disneyland. They're not annual pass holders every other day where you could probably go and see something like this over there, polished, and it's up on a stage, and you get called, and they give you a lightsaber and a little piece of paper at the end or whatever. Um, You know, but this is, it's a little, we're uh, like, it's almost like you want to, making it available to a greater audience. And most of that audience is going to be people who probably wouldn't, be able to do that thing at Disneyland or what, you know what I mean? Like what, yeah. for whatever reason. Um, so I really, really liked that. And I really enjoyed that part of it still to this day. Um, and those are the kind There's of kids some, that are there for it too. Like, cause they've never yeah. seen anything like it, you know, that see that right there gets at the heart of so many things, like broadly speaking that I enjoy. All right. Mm-hmm. So like when I, that episode, um, a few weeks ago, um, where I talked about DJing and stuff like that and my love for punk rock music and why it matters to me, why it's kind of stuck with me, you know, finding Mm -hmm. it when I did is because it was accessible. You know what I mean? And it wasn't just the, um, the notion that the, the anybody can do it kind of mentality behind it, that, you know, you don't have to be a good musician to play it. It was that it wasn't in you know, giant venues. It was people that you knew, you know, the accessibility to it. There was something more tangible about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can see that as a kid or for a kid who goes to see like a Saber Guild, like you guys do stuff to be entrenched in it. And it's right there in your face. And it's, Mm -hmm. and again, equating it to like, to a music thing. I mean, going to like a big concert for the first time is going to be something that's going to be 
kind of life-changing. Like Iraj talks about going to see Duran Duran and stuff like that mm-hmm. when he was real young mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I can think about a lot of the bands that I saw um, when I was going to concerts at my son's age now, which kind of scares me, but um, <laughs> it was all these like real small venue or like, you know, college, you know, type places where these little local no go nowhere bands were playing. Mm-hmm. And then the first time you see a band on a bigger stage, say like at a festival or something like that. And it seems so far away, even though the music is great and the vibes are great and people right, are cool right. and everything, there's something distant you're separated by whatever it is. If it's just people or, or, technology sometimes sometimes a band sounds too polished on a faraway stage so i can see what you guys are doing with saber guild with kids literally right there on the floor in front of you versus like you said that that more polished you know and i'm just i'm not trying to denigrate but like something that you would see at like the like star cruiser right right and it's up on it's up on a thing it's very performative that way where you know the the choreographed nature of all of that is a lot different because they're not they may not be up there you know, and uh little Timmy, come on up to help me, you know, take down Kylo Ren, you know, kind of thing. Right. Right. So um I think it's really cool to have, like I said, that kind of accessibility, because I know for myself, like, you know, being where I was having that musically and for a lot of other things, like made a huge uh impact on kind of how I view things now. And even still like, like reading some of the books, um, Last night, you know, obviously we were kind of talking about some things we want to talk about. And I mentioned mm-hmm. the the Star Wars Hunters book, um, Battle for the Arena. And I, I'm not I, I'm I'm assuming you haven't finished it. I know you got it. There, no, you I, it. I flipped through it and looked through a few of the pictures and I started the little intro. I like just got the, uh, you know, they don't have it at any stores here. So I like ordered it off Amazon and it came like yesterday when you were like, hey, have you started the book? And I was like, I just opened it. <laughs> you know, so no, I didn't well, finish it. Okay, well, there's, there's, um, there's a small bit in the book, and it's not really anything spoilery as far as mm-hmm. story goes. Uh, I don't, I don't want to do that to you, but there's, there's a new musical style introduced in the Star Wars, um, nice. in this book, and I loved every second of it. It's some of my favorite stuff. Um, it's called Gonk Rock. And <laughs> yeah. Now, here, now I, I have to say this for longtime listeners of Jam Transmissions, you know that the gonk is was kind of like the show's mascot for a while. And mm-hmm. early on, mm-hmm. when Pete and Josh were doing the show, they used to edit um, any swearing or cursing out of the show. And it was always the sound of the gonk. I retired that because I don't have time to do all of that editing, especially when people like Dallas Wood come on the show or Alice <laughs> from Forest Toast comes on the show and they break, you know, the, the gonks is left with a bunch of smoke coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So my connection to gonk rock isn't so much about the fact that it's gonk and we have this, you know, the gonk as far as part of the, the show art or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they explain why it's called gonk rock. And it's that the, the earliest practitioners of this style of music, powered their instruments through like old broken hand-me-down gong droids. That's how they powered their amps and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it's basically punk rock music. Okay. Okay. And the way, the way Marco Shiro writes it is like, he's got band names that he mentions um, that are very punk rock, like, like uh, setting comparisons to real world bands. Okay. Um, And I, I loved it. And it made me really think about rec punk in the High Republic and how much I 
didn't like Rec Punk in the High Republic. Um, Cause I'm the type that like, I buy the books, I read physical books, but I'll do the audio books. And the way Rec Punk was in the High Republic sonically, I was like, Ooh, not my jam. And it was like, I also didn't like that it was equated with the villains. Like only bad people can like this music right, or right. the bad people. Their smash really parties or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if anybody from the high Republic is listening to this, like this is just an opinion. I love the books. That's just mm-hmm. one facet of the books. Charles soul. I'm looking at you that I'm not really like super cool with. Cause he's the one that introduced it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Marco Shiro putting gonk rock in this thing, like, Chef's Kiss, I loved every second of it. It was really cool. The book is really cool. I know you haven't read it, so like we're not gonna, I'm not gonna talk too much about it. But talking about like some of the more tangible aspects of Star Wars, you, much like me, we are very entrenched in the imprint side of Star Wars, books and comics, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, take me back to the beginnings of Star Wars books for young Sal Perales. What, what were you reading back in the day? I mean, I read everything back in the day, even that like Jedi Prince series, <laughs> like all of it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. So, uh, but I believe that I started off with the comics first. Like, I think I found Dark Empire uh, and Tales of the Jedi around the same time. So probably Dark Empire had just come out. Tales of the Jedi was coming out and I was at the comic store going like, oh, there's Star Wars comics. Oh my goodness. And then, through there realizing like, Oh, they're putting out star Wars books too. Like, and if you remember that time, that was the time where there was like nothing, uh, for a long time. Yeah. It was, you know, slim pickings, no promise slim of pickings. any future movies. No, no anything. So, you know, being able to expand the world or the universe, the galaxy of star Wars that way was, uh, like that was very formative for me as a star Wars fan to find the, Oh, like this is, Jedi and this is that and this is uh you know Tales of the Jedi. I'm I'm all about Jedi. I always have been. I like that like Mark's mm-hmm. connection. Like I've always been into that. Um so like being able to expand on those things, which is like some of the things that I still kind of like gripe with about the movies, is like, oh, like, you know, we're gonna see all these Jedi and we saw them for the prequels, and then like by the time we get to like, oh cool, we're gonna see like what happened. Oh, there's no more Jedi again. Like now we're just down to like one Jedi yeah. again, or whatever it is. Um, you know, but that's like this, this, whatever the story direction they choose to, I'm always looking for more of that. Um, which is why sometimes I do find myself connecting to those characters in really interesting way. Like, I really like that idea. These, they're like the last of their kind. And in some cases, uh, you know, any post order 66 Jedi story of survival or, or any new Jedi being like even Ray, you know, like the, being the first of the new. Uh, I like that idea and I like the, I like the similarities to the philosophy of like the, the Eastern, like a lot of the like martial arts philosophies are like Star Wars philosophy, like Jedi philosophy, you know, even though they're also occult. <laughs> so yeah, you can take what you can get, but you need to take the good stuff, leave the bad stuff, whatever you got to do. Right. Um, you know, but like, I, I really enjoy the like the discipline, the like how to sort of, you know, cause the idea is like, you have to help people, you know? And it's a little bit of that argument. It was like, well, if you're a Jedi, you like, you have this, this power. Do you also have this responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. like, and uh, like, that's a, I mean, maybe it's a thing that hasn't been explored too much lately, but I mean, I guess a little bit like in some of the, any post order 66 Jedi were there in hiding, 
usually most of the ones that we've heard are the ones that they get to the point where they realize they can't hide anymore and they have to help in whatever way they can. Right. Um, you know, and then like, if you remember like the legend stuff, they had, there was the, uh, the star Wars legacy comics dealt with somebody who didn't want to be involved with that and didn't want to help, but who had that power, that ability came from that bloodline. Uh, you know, and that was also an interesting story. Um, so I don't know, like the, the books and stuff, I always did all that kind of stuff. So when they sort of did, hey, we're going to hit the reset button and make everything canon. I was probably one of the few people, particularly that was that entrenched in it, to be like, no, nah, I think this is a good thing. Uh, I agree. And I, I was the same, you know, and a lot of people bristle against that. And I, and I can understand why. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to see... You know, things that you, you know, grew to fall in love with, you know, represented in a different way. You want to see continuation of that stuff. But I mean, the logistics of it would have never worked. I mean, how do you explain, you know, Chewbacca not being there? How do you explain all kinds of different things? Do you start the story from the middle of something that already came? Mm -hmm. Do you like, yeah, logistically, it just, it wouldn't have worked um, as well as people would have wanted. And it just, and it's also one of those things where like, it had already grown and just because it was such a wild west free for all it had already become something so like unhinged that you could never even fit it. Like it never even fit in with itself, much less anything else that would have come later. Um, yeah. There's some wild wacky stuff. Yeah. In the EU books that like I, people talk about like, what was his name? Like trioculus, mm-hmm. like that whole thing. Like this is some of the weirdest shit that people were like, like, uh, Oh no. Like, nobody's going to read this before it gets published. All right. I'm going to put in a three eyed Palpatine, you know, cousin or whatever the hell you, you know what I mean? Oh, we, we're going to have this dude try to seduce Leia with us with pheromones. But mm-hmm. let's see, let's see who reads this, this guy was like, I, mean? I got it. And that was science of, watch. And that, was, and that was part of, that was part of a whole initiative. Shadows of the yeah. empire was so yeah. huge when it I came had a out. soundtrack. Um, I, yeah, I was just gifted mm-hmm. a copy of the CD. Like, Late last year, my father-in-law gave me a copy. He was like, oh, yeah. He, like, collects and sells music. So he was like, yeah, this was just in a box of stuff. Here you want it? I was like, cool. I don't even have a CD player. I don't know how to, how I'd play it. I might have to throw it in the in the PlayStation yeah. or something, see if I can run it that way. But, um, but yeah. I mean, it's same, like, with, with the books. You know, I think for a lot of us, and I think it's um, for a lot of us who grew up you know, around the original trilogy or just after the, the original trilogy in the void of really anything coming out when books and comics did start coming out. Um, it was like, like a weird kind of like vindication for waiting. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And those early stories, you know, the air to the empire, dark empire, those first things that started coming out, like the air to the empire books that they're, they're I'm air quoting. Great. They're great because that was the first thing that we got. Um, but I think to set comparisons, like those books are just as unhinged as a lot of the stuff that came out later on mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, Drew Sabayoth being this, this clone of a Jedi yeah. and he's a madman. He's like catching arrows in the air that people are shooting at him and shit. It's like, it's so wild. The idea of like perpetual cloning for the emperor and all of mm-hmm. that stuff. And I think that speaks more to what Timothy Zahn couldn't do with those with those early books because he couldn't do vader he couldn't touch right, a lot right. of things 
Um, and that's, that's, I mean, that's essentially where, where Thrawn comes from. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, that, you know, I don't, I don't that's a cool that. thing. You that's a co- like, because of those limitations, like, and it, it's funny because it, like he did it first. And even since then, they always go back to the drawing board. Like it's so hard to find a Jedi enemy. That's not a bad Jedi. And he able yeah. to do that. And then every other thing was like, oh no, this is like the Death Star, but it's going to blow up a solar system. Or this is like, this is a badge. And now the Sith are returning. And like, they sort of went back. And that's, I think that's one, you know, one of the things like Thrawn, because of how he was created and the idea of him is a good idea. Like a genius that can sort of parse, that, that can be a real threat that you can't just lightsaber mm-hmm. in half. I mean, I guess you could if you can get up to him, but you got to get through that fleet. Yeah, he's got a lot of barriers yeah, up yeah. around him besides his uh, his iron wit. Yeah, so Thrawn, back in the day, like he was there because he couldn't do any of the stuff with uh, with Vader. And yeah, you're right. I mean, they had to kind of like come up with new ways to be a galactic threat yeah. without... Without somehow, you know, Palpatine returning right. in 1994. But they did that too. <laughs> even though he kind of did. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's where you get like, you get the Yuuzhan Vong, you get yeah. all these other crazy things that uh, that pop up. And then and then it just turned into infighting. Yeah. You know what I mean? You had, the, the lineage got so far away that it was, you had mm-hmm. Skywalkers, Skywalker solos, you know, battling Skywalker But the solos cool thing and, about that is you got um, like interesting characters, like eventually, like, because for a while it was just rehashes of the same you know, the big three. And it would be like, oh, you know, and the stories got to a point to where it was like, oh, like Han, Luke and Leia are on vacation and oh no, something threatens the galaxy. And it's like, ah, again, like, um, but finally, once you, once they had sort of, you know, 10 years into it, once they had established the kids and this other people over here and tales from the Jedi people over there, like you got good characters and interesting stories and like, they they had the freedom now to do these things that they couldn't do before because like they could never, you know, they could never kill Luke Skywalker or never do, you know what I mean? Whereas mm-hmm. they could do whatever they wanted with Jason, Jaina, Anakin, uh, you know, Cinta Vell or anybody fat. Cade. Yeah, Cade. Wasn't there a Skywalker. Cade? Yeah. Now that freedom though, like the limitations of the old EU are, largely out the window i think with with some of the new canon i mean obviously like anything that touches the ot characters there's certain limitations i mean time wise i mean shadow of the sith allowed for luke to do a lot of things luke and lando both to do some things that we may not have um been able to see them do otherwise Mm -hmm. but in the new canon something that uh, some of the writers have been able to do uh, or like really kind of go wild with is the high Republic yeah. and you and I, and a lot of other people too, but you and I uh, are very much just like head over heels with all the high Republic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I know what it is for me, why I like it so much, but what is it for you? That just like grabs you with some of the High Republic stuff besides Geode. I mean, besides Geode, obviously, but like on brand, like it's very, it's Jedi. It's like numerous different permutations of Jedi with a freedom and a 
interesting villains. It's an interesting, like, you know, like even now in phase two of the High Republic, they're not even fighting directly against the Jedi. They're fighting like philosophically against the Jedi in a weird way. So like there's mm-hmm. interesting ideas and like with me, usually it's characters too. So there's always like, if you find a character that speaks to me in a certain way, like, you know, like phase one character, like the, uh, I think some of the, my favorite stuff from phase one is like the high Republic Jedi, the high Republic adventures, you know, the comics about the younglings, like, cause there's like four, there's Farzala court, uh, Lula and Zine. And that entire crew is just a really cool crew of kids that are trying to grow up in this, this Jedi, you know, in this order and make the right decisions and do, you know, and they find themselves in a place that's like similar to Clone Wars in the way that they've been these Jedi at peace for so long that are now thrust into, it's not quite a war, but they're thrust into battle and finding themselves being attacked. So there's a lot of Mm -hmm. really cool stuff there. Um, you know, I, I'd so like on brand, there's just a lot of Jedi. The galaxy is fresh, exciting, new. And uh, like that freedom, the freedom, like they're able to tell some of these stories, I think, because they have the freedom with their characters to do whatever they want to, which is why we get uh, a bunch of worrisome comic book covers from Kevin Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, to, I like I feel bad, like. There was like hashtag Kevin know like he knows what he did kind uh-huh. of stuff and like poor man like he had to I mean he he does know what yeah. he did but like he didn't deserve a lot of the some of the the feedback that went back to him um, no spoilers for any of the books that have come out already if you guys if you're not reading the High Republic stuff like I can't recommend some of those things enough and one of my favorite things about the High Republic is is our villain set mm-hmm. um, I think for both both phases have given us really, really interesting villains. Um, and again, to kind of set comparisons with what we got in the EU, it wasn't just another, there's another super weapon. There's another, you know, the, the, the threat, especially for what we learn about phase one and Martian row and the Nile, um, that it's not just this galactic wide, um, like conquest for, land or, you know, you know what I mean? Or, you know, systems mm-hmm. um, and politics. There's something more personal to Marcion Rowe and his history and his people's history that um, has some kind of connection with the Jedi that I, to me, that's like one of the most interesting things about it. And we didn't even get that until the very end of phase mm-hmm. one, you know, mm-hmm. finding out what the motivations were for Marcion Rowe. And again, I don't want to go too right. much into spoilers for anybody who hasn't read it. Um, but now that we've gone back in time with phase two, we have more role family members. We've got the path of the open hand. Um, like, what do you think? Cause it is all, like you said, there, there's like this philosophical battle with the Jedi, but what do you think the end goal is for them at this point in phase two? I don't know. That, it, it's like, we see you know, a clear uh, goal. Like they, like, with phase one and phase two, they seem to want to bring down the Jedi. Uh, but the whys are just a little more like, I still don't understand like why, you know what I mean? Like, or what the goal is around that. Like, okay, bring down the Jedi so you can take power or, you know, whatever the other thing, like the, in phase one, there's a little bit of the like, Hey, stay out of our neighborhood. Cause the Jedi are trying to expand to the outer rim. 
even though there seems to be a grudge that's been there for however long. But in phase two, you have these people that are doing pretty shady things and they're all sort of masking everything with a, uh, a veneer of this new philosophy that sort of, that wants, you know, that wants something positive in their eyes. But clearly there's ulterior motives and there's shady things happening in there, but I just, I still want to know the why and who is pointing. Like there's just so many questions within that, within the context of that. And like motivations are the things that I really still don't quite understand. Like, so that's the things that's intriguing me about the characters in phase two. Okay. I see what you're doing. I know what you're doing, but why exactly are you doing it? Okay. You don't seem to like them, but why? Yeah. That see, understanding the why of phase one for me was a really satisfying Mm -hmm. payoff. You know what I mean? Because because usually the payoff comes for like the hero characters. A lot right, of times it's right. some revelation for them or some defeat or, you know, whatever, whatever the case is. And finally getting the like, oh, now this all makes sense as to motivations. And I'm like, I, I'm getting like, I'm, I don't want to say I'm struggling with phase two, but it's like, it's not. Like the, for me, like the, the, the cohesiveness is, it's not quite the same mm-hmm. um, from phase one. And, uh, but I'm still like so wildly intrigued with what this villain set is up to. And it's almost, it's almost hard to call them villains. They're more antagonists than villains mm-hmm. with, you know, the path of the open hand um, and finding out that there were these other force using groups like uh, the Sorcerers of Tund and, uh, you know, which goes back to the the Lando novels, I think from like 1981 or mm-hmm. something. Um, like that's, that's way back. And some of these others, what's the one, um, the, the Brotherhood of the Ninth. Of the Door. Ninth. Yeah. See, you're much better with the names uh-huh. of these things. I read these books, I devour them and I'll read, I'll, I'll do a second and third. And I still forget a lot of the <laughs> shit that I read. I'm a, I just remember there was a lot of cool stuff, but I, I tend to lose a lot of specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I was listening to the episode that you did with the Raj about the battle of Jeddah. And, and I think this is a thing for my own kind of expectations and like aligning with what you guys were talking at. It wasn't so much a battle as it was like, Hey, yo, somebody left a fire hydrant open and cars are crashing. Yeah, there was like three you or four I mean? things like, going on. That was like the result was chaos and a battle. Yeah, and yeah. and it's not and it's not a criticism of the mm-hmm. book because the book still works and I think it worked really yeah. well. Um, and to get that more fleshed out in the comics right now, um, I think that's I think that's going to be where more of the payoff is for a lot of these storylines um, within the High Republic. Mm-hmm. And I think with the High Republic, like a really big thing that that I think is surprising for the the creatives that are involved is when there's a big show out of fans, like say like at celebration, yeah. you know, and we just like, we got all the announcements for panels for celebration this year, which it's hard to believe it's only a couple weeks away um, from time of recording. And we did get those, I think three publishing panels. Uh, one of them being a high Republic panel. Um, did you go to, were you in Anaheim last year for celebration? Uh, I was in Anaheim, but I missed that panel because it was on the first day and I wasn't able to get there that first day. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, well, I was seeing like so, like the big meetup that they had where there was like, a, and I remember people were saying it for the longest, like, I can't wait to see High Republic cosplay. Yeah, I yeah. can't wait to see some of these people put these costumes together. And I don't know who the person's what name was that did the geode, the big block mm-hmm. that was out there. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, I, the only thing that there needed to be like was an ember somewhere. Right, right. Yeah. Somebody like, came out with a my, skier. My sweet, yeah. Yeah. That's the wildest. Like people's imagination. Listen, I have that imagination. I don't have the time or the patience to do some of that shit. Mm-hmm. Like God bless the people like Eric's building lightsabers. And I'm like, I don't have that. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's why I never picked up an instrument. Cause I just, I don't want to learn it. I just want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm kind of like, I like Yoda'd yeah. be hitting me with a, we'll see with a, with Here's a cane. What you do. You just saw me doing some buy a lightsaber from Eric. <laughs> Get it done. Have him begin, have him give it to you with all the fixins. This is true. There this you go, is true. Boom. I might have to work something out. What kind of what kind of lightsaber would me Bergascon have? I'd have to figure mm-hmm. that out. It'll be it'll be about three inches yeah, big though. Go. It's gonna be really yeah. hard for him I'll to get to work inside key, of it. Put on a keychain. Yeah. yeah. Hey, but you know what? If he's willing to do it, I'll throw him. A, I'll throw him. Mm-hmm. A, I'll throw him a, a, a crisp Andrew Jackson. I'm sure he'd appreciate mm-hmm. it. <laughs> he's not. Eric doesn't listen. <laughs> so, and if he's listening. Uh, go buy a lightsaber from Eric Strauss. Yeah. But speaking of like cosplaying and stuff, and we talked about some of the Saber Guild stuff. You've said before, I've heard you like in some other shows and stuff like that, that you guys, you guys don't cosplay like you and the rest of the fam. Do you guys like ex- explain what you mean? Because I've heard you say that you're not cosplayers, you're costumers. Yeah. So I used costumers. to say like, we're not cosplayers, we're costumers because we don't play. Ha ha. But now you can't get anybody to find anything without like... <laughs> without a hashtag or something so we're cosplayers it is what it is that's just what people call it it doesn't matter but like we do uh you know i don't know like when when i was doing you know like we were coming out with new costumes all the time because the clothes were changing in every season of star wars rebels or um or making improvements to whatever it was that we first built to like first get out you know you look at those WonderCon pictures when we first got out there like I built a cane and armor out of foam because that's all I knew how to do at the time. Uh, and then I got like a real kit from a real maker. And like, now I have like super legit cane and armor that's lasted however many years it's been since I've been dressing up as Kanan. Um, you know, but even things like that, like that armor, uh, the stuff that we do in it, like I don't just dress up and go walk around in it for an hour at a con. Like we do, we go talk to kids and we go do events and I fight in my armor and my blind Kanan mask. Mm. Uh, so like I sort of try to engineer all of these things in addition to just looking like legit, it has to hold up. It has to move. I can't have 45 safety pins in my Jetic tunic that rip open as soon as I do my first the handstand backflip or whatever it is. And uh, yeah, now when there's a bunch of kids, yeah, exactly. Around, there you go. Or same things with the lightsabers. Can you- like we got, we have like legit, I can't just go to galaxy's edge and pick up a, you know, a force effects, whatever, because it'll, will shatter and blow out LEDs all over the place. So we have like legit lightsabers, polycarbonate, heavy blades uh, that we can run and swing, you know, the, the blind cane and mask, can you see, are there slits in that? Can you see? Through They're them not no? slits in it. So what it is, is I basically built it out of like a, I, I think it's because I got it off of somebody secondhand. So what I think, I think he got it off somebody who was making it to do like a Daft Punk kind of 
thing. So it's a clear plastic lens that I sort of cut out and painted very carefully. So you look at it and it looks opaque, but it's when you're wearing it, it's like dirty sunglasses. I guess if if I had to like describe it. So like that's like the my idea was to paint it very carefully so that it but make it out of something that's not opaque. And uh because I knew what you're gonna get is you're gonna get people that either, you know, walking around a, a con and they're either gonna go like, oh, okay, like let's take a picture and put it on and take a picture with you. Or you're going to get people that are going to like be looking out under their sunglasses uh, the entire time. And I didn't want to be either of those. I wanted people looking at me and not understanding how or why or if I could see, which I think I totally nailed because the first time I really test ran it was uh, Star Wars Celebration. Uh, no. Yeah. Celebration Orlando, I think, was the first time like I really wore it to a big event like that. And I test run it around a little bit, dressing up and like figuring it out. And like, I think we went to scum and villainy one time and I messed around with it, Uh, but fully costumed up and going and walking around the con and seeing people like, and talking to people to the side like this. So (laughs) they couldn't tell if I was looking, you know what I mean? And then I could see about at the corner of my eye, like looking at me, trying to see like how I'm seeing. Uh, So the effect, I think like there's a performance in that, right? You know what I mean? Like. The idea yeah. is you're trying to embody this character and you also want to do it in a way that doesn't look fake or believable. You know, and since then I've seen people do a few different things. I've seen people who have like made it out of foam, but they've cut the slits out like where the the white sort of J guy designs are like that's all a cutout and it's like replaced with like a white mesh. So like that's li- they literally have windows that they can see out of. Um Yeah. Or, you know, like those, those are, those are a few things that I've seen or very like small pin prick sort of things. Um, but I think I wanted something that would be a little more effective in what I wanted it. Like I wanted to do Saber Guild shows in it. And I did, <laughs> I did Saber Guild shows in a blind cannon mask with people going, how can that guy see he's doing stuff? Um, he's that guy's you could, I mean, Jared Imway is next That's for you. How do you do that? Thing. And the answer is make sure you call out your hits. Hey, okay. I know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> so what was, what was the impetus for all of that? Like, was there like a conversation you and the wife were just like, Hey babe, you know, I just, I was thinking, you know, I want to do this, this uh, thing. Like, how does that all start up? Was it, whose idea was so, it? So like I used to do a lot of like here in Hollywood, I've done martial arts and music and, sort of been like adjacent to the, the industry, the entertainment industry for a while. And uh, mm-hmm. I was doing stunts and I got connected with like a stunt team. Uh, and I was doing martial, I was doing fighting. I was doing this and that. I was doing martial arts training for people for movies and stuff like that. And I got involved with these guys, the EMC monkeys who would do, they had like their own YouTube and then they would also do movies and stuff. And then they would do performances of their own. And I think they called me to be in one of the performances. And the performance was at Frankenson's, which like is a place like a lot of people know around here. But if you're not from around here, think a swap meet that's like only nerd stuff. So like a swap. Yeah, meet I was going to say yeah. it looks like like a big trade show. Like, yeah, uh, the floor of a con kind of thing, basically, but for like, you know. For like good yeah. stuff, you know, it's not uh, 75 yeah. Funko booths and a place that has like all those black series that you're missing. Some other cats got all mm-hmm. the import like video games from for a Sega Genesis from 1993. You know, this guy's I got all the bootleg shirts. 
the other guy has got like there's 47 comic stands and somebody's got like the entire uh, holographic collection of the 1991 Marvel Universe cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just That's yeah, all that good stuff. And so they had a floor like Stan Lee used to just come on the weekends because it was like like before things got bigger and crazy, like this was just where those kinds of people went. Ray Park was there, you know, Daniel Logan would just show up because like they were just all around and this was the spot where they would have, hey, it's going to be a Star Wars day on, you know, the first Saturday of the month. And so they would have a show and they were having one of their cons and we did a stunt show there and Sabergill did a show. And I remember looking at them and being like, oh, they look like legit because Quinlan Voss was a like Halloween costume at the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. And. That I saw their lightsabers were, I was like, these are like custom lightsabers. These are not, you know, your force effects, Darth Vader, the only three that you can find at the store, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, or Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, these yeah, are like yeah. real legit things. And so I started talking to them and they were like, oh, we just saw your stunt show. Like you do this stuff. That's really cool. Like, this is what we do. We're a charity organization. And like my wife perked up and was like, oh, you guys do this like for kids in hospitals and for, you know, local libraries and for Make-A-Wish or whoever. Um, So she was really intrigued by the charity aspect. And I was intrigued by the martial arts aspect. And they were intrigued by like, oh, we should get a martial artist into this uh, uh, thing Mm -hmm. because like then we can have really, really doing really cool shows or whatever. And I think it worked out for everybody. Uh, Yeah. That's how I got involved. That's awesome, man. But it's like, like the happenstance of it, yeah. just like being there, like around something like that. Um, and I can imagine like the the feeling of like, I found my people, like I found the two things that I really yeah. love and found a way to mesh all of that together. Um, but as far as like the, the costuming side of it, like, I, obviously the the Quinlan boss, like the, the Kane and Jairus of it all for you. Um, you know, like wanting to, like for your wife wanting to get involved, like was, and was this like, was rebels just happening at the time? Like what was so like, we got involved with the, with the family in like, like early 2013, we were getting started and like, no, there was no rebels yet. There was like, but I already had like my Quinlan Voss and like my wife was into like, I would read the family, the comics for bedtime or whatever. So like, she was like, well, I'll do Ayla, you know, we'll be Quinlan and Ayla. And then like the kids can, the kids had random Jedis. So at one point the kids were like official saber guild, but they out, outgrew that like 10 years ago. <laughs> but, um, so like we sort of went and did that and that's how we got started. And that's was our only costumes basically. And then, it would turn into like, because Quinlan Voss is like all black and in the comics, sometimes he has a red lightsaber. I could just pop on a red lightsaber and then I could like fight with my wife mm-hmm. and like, it was easy because we were at home. We could practice all the time and like, you know what I mean? So when you have a partner that you live with that does the shows, we can get our practice in uh, and be ready to go on showtime and like not worry about, yeah, at the time she was like doing law school and stuff. So it's like, she couldn't even, sometimes she wasn't able to make the uh, practices. Uh, or things like that. So we could do our own like practices on the side. She could still be involved or she could come do the booth or whatever it was. Um, but like we would do it as a family, like the kids would come and hang out, take pictures. We would do the shows and then take pictures and you do a lot of like mingle, you know, there's a lot of just in character in costume, like 
talking to the kids because the kids want to come up to you and collect your little trading card or whatever it is and be like, oh, did mm-hmm, you like, mm-hmm. do this? Uh, of course. Well, yeah, you can touch this one because it's actually just my practice saber. I'm not going to ring my real thing off the ship. Come on now. Somebody's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so that's like sort of how we got involved with it and in like enmeshed into it as a family. And then Rebels came out. I don't know if you remember, but they, the first way that we were introduced to it was they were like, Hey, it's going to be a show called star Wars rebels. It's not really going to have Jedi. And then they were like, and here's a little, uh, they would, they released these little preview videos on YouTube and it was like, meet Ezra. Hey, he's just like a kid, but he's like force sensitive. Like, and it was like a little two minute video that sort of gave you a like really good gist of the character. Meet Harrison Dula. She's the pilot. She's the, this meet Sabine. She's a Mando. She's the artist. She's the, this she's a, and it was like, meet Kanan, the cowboy Jedi. And my wife was like, dude, we could do that. Like this, there's like, there's like a whole crew here. We could dress up as the crew. Like you could be that dude. Totally. That little kid looks like Axel. You know, we, me and Lizzie can do the other ones, you know, and it like, so it's sort of, it like fit us. And we also, that was the first time we went to Lucasfilm. We went for a Clone Wars screening when they picked up season six, the lost missions at on Netflix and the clubs were invited. And so we were like, ah, like we're going to go. But like the kids at the time, like the kids weren't allowed to go. So we like got a babysitter and we were like, oh, like this is the only time we have to say yes. Right. We got to go. Like there's a once in a lifetime opportunity, not knowing how many weekends we were going to pack up the kids and drive up to Lucasfilm Mm -hmm. on a Friday uh, to go see whatever else was coming next. Um, We went and saw Resistance and Rebels plenty of times at Lucasfilm since then. And it's always been wonderful. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually going to ask you how the Lucasfilm connections happened. Um, Cause I know that you guys had been there for some of these screenings and some mm-hmm. of the other little events and stuff like that. But I have to ask, I think it was near the end of rebels. Maybe it was. Yeah. Maybe it was when um, they did a screening for the last two episodes, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, were you guys there for that? Did you guys get the, so we were no? pretty much at all of the rebels ones, except for the one that was like in Europe because it was at celebration. That was like the first yeah, time they the, showed the Thrawn the, episodes. Yeah, but season we three, did. Yeah. We did like there was a and a couple of the big Rebels ones they did in L.A. So, like the season two finale they did in L.A. and then the season the mm-hmm. series finale they did in L.A. also. And so that was were you yeah, guys were, we were you guys there, there for that, for that one? one or no? And we were all dressed okay. up in our new <laughs> Rebels and everything. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because. Uh, my former co-host Pete, who did the intro for the show, put all the music mm-hmm. together. He he was in a band uh, for a while. He put a song together a few years ago. There's a video for it on YouTube, and it's just a still image, but it's a recording of Donald Faison talking to um, Dave mm-hmm. Filoni uh, from that event. You know, saying like, "When when are we going to get mm-hmm. the um, the Ahsoka Tano?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dave Filoni gives his uh, interesting, interesting, interesting kind yeah. of answers. And he says, we don't know. And so he clipped all of that. And he made this song out of it called Looking for Ezra. Um, and it's a, it's on, I'm, I'm not going to put it at the end of the okay. song or at the end of the show. Cause that's, that's work, but I, I'll, I'll post it up on the Twitters. I've been like, I've put it up a couple of times. I've tagged uh, Donald Faison, just like, bro, just acknowledge it. Like, I don't, 
I'd love to get him on the show. He's, I've, I've heard him when he, they were doing the Scrubs mm-hmm. podcast and he talked about Star Wars a little bit. Um, but uh, as many times as I've heard that song, because I think Pete sent it to me before he put it out and was like, hey, what do you think? And I was like, this is the silliest thing I've ever fallen in with <laughs> musically. Like it's so, it's outrageous and I love it. And, and, and it's cool. It's almost like lo-fi before people started using the term uh-huh. lo-fi musically yeah. that way. Um, and uh, it just really works the way he kind of cut it up together. But to know that you were in the room, you're like, you could probably listen to it and hear yourself laughing somewhere. Yeah, right. You're like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's me. That's yeah, that's Axel's. You know, screech, you know like scratchy yep. voice back over. I there. remember that. Yeah, um, that's really cool, man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just I think about like some of the pictures that I'd seen of uh, some of the events you guys had been to with the Rebels cast, and now here we are through another friend through Hollis Burkhart from Blue Harvest Podcast. Anybody who doesn't know, go listen to Blue Harvest. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. We're just like kicking it on his Twitch channel with Vanessa Marshall, mm-hmm. who you've already known. Or you've already met her, I'm sure, a handful yeah, of times. Yeah. And she's talking about restaurants you guys can go to just in like around L.A. or whatever. Um, but like she's just hanging out with us. Seems like like one of the most like down to earth, just kind of cool people. And like most people are that are involved with Star Wars. They just seem really cool. Mm-hmm. They're accepting of the fans, um, you know, kind of warts and all. And uh, that familiarity, it's got to be like coming into it as you did as like performing and like doing the, you know, dressing up or whatever. And they have the kids there and it's like here, like the cast wants to meet you or they want to take pictures or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. Um, I can only imagine like what all that's like. Like there there had to be like these whirlwind kind of moments or something like here, you're just a Star Wars fan doing a thing. And the next thing you know, you're in a theater and there's Dave Filoni and there's Matthew Wood and there's Donald Faison talking. And things have like changed. Like, I I don't know. I don't know if it was like the force awakens or just like maybe just people and fandom in general has changed. But like, you know, like I said, when we did that first event that was at Lucasfilm, uh, that was sort of like the seeds of the idea of us being rebels was there because those little videos had come out and my wife was already talking about it. And so she was talking uh, that's where we met like Dave Filoni and all that stuff. And she was talking about it with Tracy who like, she didn't know who uh, Tracy Canobio is one of the, like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. marketing people over there at like Lucasfilm and, and all that. Right. Uh, but like, we were just talking to people, like we were just hanging out and having a good time and talking with other star Wars fans. And then she was very interested. Cause like with weird, like my wife had mentioned, she's like, yeah, we're thinking of like maybe doing like, cause she was just like, Oh, your costumes are cool. Cause we came in costume. Um, which at the time was Ayla and and Voss, you know? Uh, And so she, and my wife was like, yeah, we're thinking of like doing the rebels and like Tracy kind of perked up and was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like we're very excited. That's going to be a cool show. And And so like keeping in touch with her sort of had led to some of the other things to where like when we did show up at WonderCon with the rebels, we were like ready. Uh, we went to the panel and they like, we, we got to talk to them on stage and all that. And, uh, and that was also like the first day that we did the rebels and it was like the rebel, that was like rebels being revealed to the world anyway. And it's like, like nowadays, like a trailer comes out and two days later, somebody on TikTok already has the costume. But back then, like, yeah. like we were the rebels and that was it. Like there was, it didn't happen like that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know, I don't, like, because I don't know how to describe it because it happens so much now. Like nowadays, they announce a book and like four people have the costume on the cover of the book done. Boom. 
like, and I just remember working in my garage, like trying to nail these four things. And I wasn't really good at sewing and, or anything yet, you know, and painting, uh, and doing my best to get those costumes together. And if you look at them, they look different than they do now. (laughs) Obviously the kids have outgrown all of theirs, but like, you know, now, like I have a, a kit in Canaan that's like, you know, the armor is like all plastic and it's like painted and weathered like much better than that first piece was, um, different colors from the things that I do. My, my lightsaber is better now, you know, it's a completely different saber, but I got like a guy who, who, uh, um, uh, what's the word? He'd like powder coated my saber. So now I don't have to repaint my Canaan every month and a half because I start wearing off the paint with my grip because I actually mm-hmm. use my blades. Some people, they put these things on a shelf and never mess with them. Like that blade's been dropped, kicked, punched, like everything. I've never, I've never heard anybody say that uh, they have a guy for like saber weathering. People say like, oh, I got a guy, and it's like, might be some other more nefarious <laughs> things. But like, yo, hey man, I'm gonna hook you up with uh-huh. my saber guy. I got a I saber guy, good, man. Let me, yeah, you know, yeah. and Eric Struthers. Here's a, here's I got a, two saber guys. Here, here's his beeper uh-huh. number. Hit him up. Wait well, for the right call on, from man. the payphone. Cool. So, <laughs> but so like, let's talk about the characters that you're doing real quick here. So like, not knowing who Kanan was, all you had was that cowboy yeah. Jedi, and and you already knew who Quinlan Boss was before mm-hmm. deciding to do any kind of costuming there. Um, what is it about those two that outside of just looking like or had like kind of bearing yeah. resemblance to? that connects you to the characters you think. Cause I, like, I know like for my, some of my favorite characters, and we're going to talk about something in a minute in that regards, like what draws me to certain characters, but what is it about those two that makes you want to like physically personify mm-hmm. them, bring them out into the world in a real way? I mean, for Quinlan Voss, it all kind of started with the appearance. Like he was a, Oh man, that looks like a super buff version of me. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So like, that you connect it. And then I really like the characters from the comics, all the, the original, like Jan Dersma and uh, who's that? She's the artist. I forgot the writer. Uh, I'm not going to remember. It was like Joel Ostrander. Yeah, Ostrander and Dersma. Uh, so yeah. like the story of Quinlan Voss is really cool. And it was like, kind of like, he's a dark Jedi, but he's not quite like, uh, so like, there's a little bit of that in there that I really liked, but honestly, these days I really like what he's become in Canon much more and I connect like he's a Jedi who does things his way, but he also has fun. Like, like he's, he's, he doesn't take himself so seriously. And I think that's a thing that like, I think that's a thing that fandom should not do in general, but like, that's a thing that I, I could really take to heart nowadays. Like as a Quinlan Voss fan, yeah. and as somebody who connects with the characters, I like being able to go to the thing and not be as serious and be able to crack a joke and make a kid laugh or whatever uh, at an event like that and have fun. Um, and Kanan, like it started just being like, okay, well, you know, this is what the family wants to do. This would be good. Like I do want to do stuff with my family. Cause that's like a completely different, like when I costume as Voss, I'm kind of costuming for myself. So when I go out mm-hmm. and I do an event, it's like, I'm there, I'm doing it and I'm cool and I do my best and it's fun. But when I do Kanan, it's usually when the family's there and I like, like I have these memories of, all right, Ezra, come on, let's go, let's go, like, let's go do the thing, like, you know? So like connecting with it in that way, it's such a different experience. And I really like what the character of Kanan became, but in the beginning, I also like the idea. He's like a Jedi in this time where there's not Jedi. He's a survivor, but he also 
has to put it away to make his way. Like in, in, in those little videos that I watched 10,000 times in a garage while I was trying to get screen caps so I could make a, my belt or whatever it was that I was trying to put together. They give you a lot. They give you like these really good things that really cut to the heart of those characters. So even though the only thing I had was that little video, it was talking about, he's a survivor, but he doesn't know, like he's a Jedi, but he doesn't know he's not really a Jedi. He never got to be Mm -hmm. a Jedi. Like he's this kid who was lost and had to become something else. And obviously like since then that story has become so much more fleshed out, but like that idea of like, now he's got to teach somebody else to become. And like Filoni says this one really cool thing back in those videos. That's like Ezra needs him to become a Jedi, but he also needs Ezra because he'll never become a real, like he's never going to regain and continue what he's lost until he like reconnect. Like he needs Ezra to learn to how to be a real Jedi himself and to get back to Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And Ezra needs him to like find out about his future. Like, so they both need each other in that way. And that's something that I really like, like as a, a father and a, and a family person, like I connected with that a lot too. It's like, what do we do to protect each other? How do we ensure whatever it is that we are, to go on how do we find this safety and we've gotten so many more like order 66 stories but these idea of these people who like lose everything and become these refugees or these hidden they're taken down from their place they were these revered respected people that never had to worry about a thing like Kanan never owned a credit and then he's living on the streets of Caller or whatever uh, trying to survive yeah. you know what I mean because all of a sudden everything you are is taken from you in one fell swoop uh, and these people weren't taught how to live outside of that, you know, cause they, Oh, I need some credits. Hey, uh, can you send me, uh, can you plug it up to my little, uh, Jedi credit com link? Cool. Cool. Thanks. All right, cool. Hey, bring me a ship. <laughs> oh, hey, clones. Let's go and check this thing out. Like you have all these resources that they take for granted. And then once that whole system is gone and they're like refugees and some of them are kids, you know, like, like Kanan and, uh, you know, Cal Kestis. They just have to find Mm -hmm. their way that they're just not prepared for. And it's really beautiful and tragic, but it's like something that I don't know. I I like those stories and I just connect to them a lot. Is there, if you don't mind my asking, like, is there anything personal that you feel connects you with them? Obviously the Canaan thing being like the father son. I mean, relationship that the whole, you have with the whole Axel. rebels thing is like the family. Cause it's not just Ezra. Like he is a family to like, it's Hera and Sabine as well. You know what I mean? Like it's a family, like the entire crew, like the way that he eventually teaches Sabine and the way that he also has to adjust that. Like Sabine doesn't learn the way that Ezra did. Like you have kids and they're different and they don't like there's personalities and there's like different strengths, weaknesses or whatever you want to call it. Uh, like, so the, a lot of the family stuff of Kanan and how he's also trying to be the best that he can be in order to protect them and teach them the best, you know, so that they can survive and, and give them the tools they need. Um, so a lot of the family stuff is what connects me to Kanan a lot for sure. Mm-hmm. And with Voss, I think it's more of the person that's like, he's, he, he's not afraid to have fun. And I like, like, I like joking around, you know, even with my kids, even, you know, if you've heard our podcast, we're not very serious. Uh, <laughs> you guys, you yeah. know what I mean? But like, I like being a person that 
that does the thing. Like he's a Jedi. He's not the best Jedi, but he does what he needs to do the mission. And also with the Quinlan Voss thing, there's like, he's the undercover guy. He's always comfortable in every situation. Like he's the kind of guy who's like, okay, we're going to go to a gala. All right, let's do it. But also like, Hey, uh, we need to talk to like the Corsac police. Oh, like nobody really, or not Corsac, you know, but the like, uh, there's a book that Pablo Hidalgo wrote called scum and villainy. And yeah. it's like going through these like underworld sort of from the eyes of whatever the, the law enforcement is at the time. So it goes through like three generations and one of them is like a new Republic security detail. And one of them was like a stormtrooper or a like person in the empire. And one of them is like a, from the times of the Republic. And so the ones in the time of the Republic, there's like a page that talks about Voss and they're like, Hey, we don't usually work with Jedi, but he actually comes and shares Intel with us. The other guys, they kind of act like their own thing. It's a very like FBI and local law enforcement kind of like that's in every movie. Right. How the Jedi right. are like yeah. above and they don't really connect with people. Whereas Quinlan Voss is a Jedi that's not afraid to connect with these people, which is the thing that like you see in High Republic. Like the Jedi of the prequel trilogy are so removed from the world that they're supposed to be protecting. Whereas the Jedi and the High Republic, they really go out, they really talk to the people. They, they, they're more connected to the living force and the people in it in a way that's a lot uh I think is a lot more to what they're supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know that's, that's exactly what we were talking about earlier about that accessibility the tangibility yeah. of the higher public Jedi to what we were saying, like with music and stuff. Um, hey, maybe that's another reason why we like the higher public as much yeah, as we for do, sure. as opposed to some of the other stuff. Cause uh, it kind of, Hey, we just had a discovery on the show. How about that? We just had a Eureka yeah. moment. That's pretty awesome. Um, no, I think it's really cool though. Like, one of my favorite things about um, Star Wars and, and the fandom in general, and I've said this a, a ton of times, is is perspectives and how our perspectives shape mm-hmm. um, our personal fandoms and how we interact with all of that. So I, I enjoyed hearing all of that. Um, but to that end, I got to ask you, why do you hate Crosshair so much? I mean, because, I mean, besides being a jerk, he's just kind of, uh, <laughs> he's, he consistently makes the wrong choice. <laughs> you know uh minus one or two episodes but yeah yeah man like <laughs> we're also like in, in the whole crew <laughs> of guys we're like uh, he's like the rudest one he's the one that like almost starts the fight with rex even though it's like wrecker that has to pull the trigger and like pick rex yeah. up but uh you know even when we first meet him he's still a jerk and then he ends up being a real jerk so that's a uh, that's that's my crosshair beef you know, and then it, it look, well, it didn't help when he went after Kanan. When he tried to shoot down young Kanan, it's not, that's not a point for your boy. Just going to say it. But, but, he, but your boy got away. I mean, he missed, right? I guess. I'm gonna talk, What's his power again? Good I'm gonna eyesight? Sid, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be Sid for a moment. But he's okay, right? He made it yeah, out, I guess right? he made it out. Yeah. Now look at yeah, him now. Look at him now. Talking to I'm Ray and stuff. the whole family. Just because Crosshair missed that shot, huh? That's right. One time, one time crosshair, let him go. I mean, I, I have to talk about my, my connection with, with crosshair and like, I got to lay this out. And and I know like, I'm not the only one people like crosshair for different reasons. And I mentioned this on the show on one of my um, bad batch uh, reactions uh, after metamorphosis. And like one of my struggles with the show which I do like, I enjoy the show. Like, I don't want to make it out. Like I, I hate the thing. I don't hate it, but I just, 
I've been saying for a long time that like Crosshair's story to me could be, could have been the most uh, like intriguing and potentially rewarding. Mm -hmm. And I know the story is not over yet. And like, it bothered me when he wasn't in some of the episodes because I like, I wanted to know what was going on. Like, like I wanted to see more of that transition to bottom for him, which clearly we saw this past weekend. Like, like we'll talk about the outpost kind of specifically more than any other mm-hmm. episodes. Um, I'm not really trying to do like a review thing, but like in, in the re- like the, the reaction that I did a couple of days ago, like I talked about how he had to get to a place of absolute rock bottom, like no warmth, literally no warmth, heartlessness mm-hmm. in order for him to have to have some kind of a change um, uh, happen for him. But the thing that like speaks to me about Crosshair, and one of the reasons why I like him so much is that, and I said this, he's an outsider in an outsider setting. And for myself, like growing up, I, I'm going to get more into specifics than I did a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. But like after my dad passed away, and you know, I've talked about that a lot, like we moved around a couple of times and, you know, we had kind of, I don't want to say we had planted roots before he died. Cause I mean, my brother and I were still very young, like we were in a neighborhood, we were already going to a school and stuff like that. And we, we moved into a place and, you know, moving as a kid can be, can be hard and stuff, but we moved into uh, a, a largely white neighborhood. It was a Polish neighborhood, a very old, like South, Southeast side of Chicago, um, Polish neighborhood. We were one of maybe five or six, you know, kids of color in our school. We didn't, there wasn't a black kid in our neighborhood till I was in like the seventh mm-hmm. grade. Um, it's like, just to kind of give you an idea. So there was, and we had friends, you know what I mean? Like I, I still talk to some of those guys. Some of those guys may even listen to the show. I don't know. But like we, we already didn't feel like just like kind of the family unit, my mom, my brother, and, uh, and myself, like kind of feeling like we didn't really belong for a long time until we got even when we did get more acclimated to the neighborhood, like it still didn't feel like we had a place there. And again, we were welcomed in people's homes and all of that stuff, but we encountered some really blatant racism with people. People would say shit at their houses when we were there. That's like, Hey, yo, like that's, we're not here to make these kinds Mm -hmm. of jokes. Um, And within that, like one of the reasons why I got involved with like listening to punk rock when I was young, skateboarding when I was young, and I know like skateboarding in California was a different thing than skateboarding in the Midwest mm-hmm. because you could do it every day in California. You could find places to do it. Um, yeah, you know, like well, skating at Embarcadero. I'm from Texas. So well, yeah, I remember how it was over there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a whole different ball of wax. And we look at how like how skateboarding is now. It's like, it's a fucking Olympic mm-hmm. sport for Christ's sake. But like at, at the time in the mid to late eighties, like even though there was a, a surge in popularity um, prior to that, I got into it at a point where it was a little in a little bit of a lull and I'm sure steel can talk to more like dates specifically about what was going on, but like the videos that were coming on at the time and the music that was coming on at the time, like put me in a place where I kind of felt like I had found my tribe, like outside of the family unit and outside of just like the normal friends that I had from like school mm-hmm. who, you know, you're in the same setting. So you bond with people that way. I had found other people to do this stuff with but there was still that idea that like i don't i still struggle with it even at i'll be 45 in a couple of weeks like the idea of fitting in with people all the time and it's not it's not the um it's not like a conformity thing to like 
this is how people do things here. You have to do that. It was more um, the like the ideas of acceptance of like, do these people really like me for who I am? People do. And I'm sure that they did. I, you know, I meant to say people will say that. And I'm sure people did, but it was always in my head to like be on my guard. And I was always the smallest one. So I got picked on and teased and things mm-hmm. like that. And a lot of that was just innocent. But I look at a guy like Crosshair who did he make a lot of wrong choices? Absolutely. I can 100% agree with all of those statements. Did I make a lot of the wrong decisions? 100%. You know what I mean? Like when I talked to Brian from Pink Milk about his connections, why he loved these characters so much, like, that all made 100 percent sense mm-hmm. to me again because his perspective brought him to that place and i don't know why it took me so long with crosshair to come to the understanding that he's an outsider in an outsider setting looking for layers of acceptance that he may never be able to willingly accept on his own and like i said i know that that's something for myself that I still kind of grapple with sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I, I have people that I work with and have, you know, moving with me into Michigan, it's like still kind of don't have the same social circles that I had and yeah. being on the internet, stuff like that. Like our friend circles are all over the world. Um, but there's still like the, the camaraderie of like being in the same room at the same time with people. It's not the same as it was. And again, that's just the nature of the world right now because the pandemic and all whatever, mm-hmm. um, but I look at a character like Crosshair and I feel like for a season and a half wanting to do nothing but defend the guy, but not knowing how to do that. And I'm not the type to go writing a bunch of shit down on Twitter mm-hmm. anyway. Like, I don't, I don't have time for that. So that's, and like I said, this past week, like that's why I have the show. It's one of the reasons, you know, is to be able to express myself mm-hmm. these ways and be more, try to be more, more coherent about it so that people don't look at me like, you just like the villain. He's a fascist. How can you side with him? And it's like, yeah, he sided with the empire, but that's, that's a a facet of that poor decision-making that the wanting to belong so much that he was able to forego, like the people who actually wanted more for Mm -hmm. him. He felt he had a better purpose. And what happens with this last episode is that the tanks are rolling and like, they're going to run your ass over. Uh, until you have to make another what is ultimately probably another poor decision in in killing Nolan, mm-hmm. but I'll be I'll be goddamned if it wasn't a fuck yeah moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I yeah. mean? I'm not saying go out and shoot your enemies, but a he had it coming, and I think for the larger audience, hopefully, my hope is that people will see that as like the man had finally realized that he had gotten beat up against the mm-hmm. wall. And he became a victim in a setting where he had been a victim, but had never didn't want to didn't like didn't want to um, acknowledge right, it. Right. And he has this air quoting hero moment where he stands up for himself finally, and he says, "No, nah, man, fuck you." My, yeah, he just died. You could have helped him. What's wrong yeah, with you? Yeah. And uh, and and my kind of hope is that people see him not as just he made the bad decision and he uh, sided with the bad guys but that he's um, that he's like, he had to find himself in a place where the greater audience can be like, can have a little bit empathy for him, not sympathy. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for him, but just to understand what his mindset would have been like, because it was all on display Mm -hmm. in this Mm -hmm. episode, the way Jennifer Corbett wrote this thing, the way 
um, Brad Rao and Nathaniel Villanueva directed this thing to get um, emotion out of a shivering cartoon character yeah, and to feel yeah. it is powerful. And it says something about these characters. So as I've said online many a time, Sal, I will not stand for this crosshair slander. Hold on. Nothing I said was you untrue. You say what you want. I'm just messing with you, man. <laughs> like, but no, no, I, no, he's, a, he's a complicated character, but he's, and he is very interesting. He's my least favorite, yeah. but he does have a very interesting story. I'm not denying that. I do like seeing and checking mm-hmm. in with him. And this episode in particular, and never be it beyond a Star War to like turn me around on my feelings by giving me a bit more understanding and giving me a little, uh, and not even, sometimes it's not even me. Sometimes it's the characters themselves who find that path forward and that growth. Like, And this was definitely a moment for Crosshair. Mm-hmm. But um, spoilers for Star Wars Resistance, man. I was pissed off at Tam for like a season, uh, you know, but they turned me around on that. 100%. So I don't know if you guys go back to uh, yeah. old episodes of Rogue Rebels podcast. You'll hear me yelling about Tam. How could she? Uh, until uh, later in the season where I'm like, you know what? She's my favorite. <laughs> She's my favorite now. Uh, because because of because choices, of choices. The choices that that, that that they're allowed to make and and hopefully like and my thing with crosshair too is that I don't know if I need a full redemption for him mm-hmm. what I do need for him is to understand who he is and to have a little bit of yeah, self-worth yeah because he, he was defined by everything outside of him and ne- nothing ever came from self. You know what I mean? He he never defined himself. And like redemption is such a core Star Wars theme, but it, I don't want to say it's like overused, but there is such a, it's almost like there's such an expectation from the audience over like, oh, okay, well, clearly this is what, you know, people, you know, as soon as Crosshair walked away, people are calling it, oh, I can't wait for him to get redeemed, you know, mm-hmm. whereas I think some of the like really freshest stuff I've seen in terms of redemption, just because it treats it so differently from the ways that we usually see it. Um, you know, you could take someone like Tam, like that was a really good story, but like that book, uh, the Ronin, like they don't treat it oh, yeah. as there's a, there's a, like the theme of redemption, but it's almost like more like, a like penance or it's a bit more of a, there's more of like a price to pay as opposed to a simple action or choice or deciding that like they're going to be redeemed or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Mm -hmm. and I like that idea that it goes a little bit deeper and puts a twist on such a familiar star Wars thing. Uh, and I think that's like one of those themes that like, like I, I hope to see some more stuff like that in Canon. Like, I think that's something that could fit really well into this thing that everybody has a pre-programmed idea of what it is. Cause they've all been star Wars. And they were like, look, uh, Darth Vader threw the emperor down and got redeemed. Like I can't wait for Kylo to do the same thing or whatever else happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And you do have these similar beats and I'm not saying like throw core star Wars themes to the wind, but I'm also saying like, there are ways to tell that to a new generation and there are ways to like flip it around where it does something fresh and interesting on something so familiar. And I think crosshair could do something like that, presumably, but I don't know. Like with Crosshair, I feel like, I don't even want to say redemption, but I would like for him to find acceptance, you know? Yeah, that's that's exactly where I'm at. I need, He needs to 
like he's he's missing the belonging. Yeah. You know what I mean? That he like he he had a place. He was a cog mm-hmm. in a wheel. Granted, it was part of a war machine. But that's where he but, thought he fit. And I understand that. Exactly. But also, like when you're yeah. shooting at your homies, there's a problem. Like, does this mean more? Do you what would you rather be a cog in this machine? And now that he's can stand back and look and see what that machine is, uh, I think he's having reservations, clearly. Uh but like just the idea of uh yeah, I, I don't like the I I definitely don't like that he just kind of threw his family to the wind, even though in his eyes he feels like they threw him to the wind. You mm-hmm. know, and I understand that. But yeah, I'm still gonna say he's wrong. And, <laughs> I and, and and I'm not I you I've never disagreed with anybody when um they'll say things like that. I mean it's yeah. in the show. Yeah. It's all there. It's, there. it's all there in, in black and white, you know. So it it's it's undeniable. But again, as as a matter of of choices and what will hopefully be the uh, self-actualized willingness to do something better and maybe not, like I said, maybe not be the good guy per se. I mean, and, and if you think about it in this episode, he does the quote unquote right thing by um, silencing somebody who's even right, worse. Right. I mean, I don't know if it was but the right he, thing, but, but it was a good thing. I liked it. <laughs> Um, right. But, but he, but he does it by the only means right. that he knows how to, but violence. And, and I feel, kills the guy. I feel like it, it, maybe it's not even the right thing, but he definitely turns his back on what he, like the things that he thought he was doing that was, mm-hmm. that he thought was right. Like, like that's like, like the action he took to put the punctuation into his sentence <laughs> was probably not right. If you want to define it that way, but like, it was that was how he said that I was wrong. <laughs> I think you know what I mean. Yeah, and, and it's weird to try to like talk about everything in a duality. It's so it's just a simple. It's so much more complicated. But he's in a very intriguing place at the moment. Maltantis is a very intriguing place. Yeah, that place too. That place mm-hmm. too. What do you think? Um, what do you think is going to happen with it? Because well, I don't want to talk about like a very loose because theory. I just I'm, I'm ahead a couple. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that's right. You, you you've mm-hmm. seen some stuff, so I'll, I'm going to throw out I'm going to throw out an idea. And I when I had uh, Jason from Blast Points on, I kind of told him that my kind of running theory for why the Bad Batch was delayed to run concurrently with Mandalorian is that there were going to be things thematically that kind of match up. Um, with the show, not so much like specifics for cloning, but I thought there might be some other things that kind of overlap. Um, but if, if I had to kind of like throw out a theory for Crosshair, the injection that it looked like he got from memory at the end of the episode, I don't know if that was so much an injection as, as opposed to an extraction. Oh, okay. We don't really see her like push a plunger. She just hits a button. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll have to see it again if you see anything kind of move mm-hmm. in or out of Star the, Wars technology. The can... the <laughs> yeah. And I, I was wondering, and I, this was something that I know had come up before with some theorizing with people that one of them could be kind of the um, up like an early blueprint for what um, death troopers become. Okay. And I was almost thinking that Crosshair could be kind of a progenitor of that where they extract DNA from him. 
no, because he's proved himself like this episode, if for nothing else, he proved himself still useful to the mm-hmm. Empire by surviving, taking out that raiding group. You know, he didn't get the stuff back. Um, and and probably in the Empire's eyes, uh, taking out a weak link in Lieutenant Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um and to find some use out of him that he's, there is something elite about him that maybe there is like the very, very earliest seeds of what becomes like the death trooper program a few years later on down the road. Like they don't know how to perfect all that. Cause we know we, we never see what they look like. We don't know if their clones are real people. Well, we just hear is that they're augmented yeah, somehow, yeah. you know, they, they, we don't, we never hear them speak, you know, regular basic or anything one episode like of rebels. So There's right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that's, that's kind of my thinking, like long-term mm-hmm. if, if he's, if he's somehow connected to the larger galaxy, um, which is bad, uh, ultimately. Yeah. But I mean, again, if, if there's some way for him to like, you know, screw you guys, I'm going home and walks off into the sunset with the incredible Hulk music playing behind him or something like, you know, you peace out, yeah. do whatever you need to do. I don't, I just but, like, cause I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I should just shut up. I think. That's fair. I, I just wanted to throw. I just wanted to throw that yeah, theory no. out there. I don't know. I. I, I it's anything. interesting, and I like the. I like. I like connecting all these pieces. I love when like so many of these things like really, really connect in, in a strange, and interesting way. And like that's the. I, that's the fun of a unified canon, right? That you don't have to be like, well, this and this and this happened in the comic, but then also, uh, Luke loved a giant warship over here once, and then. You know, there's that other guy that's like a giant uh, gooey cube from a different dimension or something. <laughs> so like you have all, like I, I like that Star Wars connects to itself. So like in your idea of this connecting to something in the future that we've seen in other projects. Like I, I like I just like when that happens, whether or not that happens in this case. Yeah, doesn't have to. I'm not you know, I, I don't hold so tightly onto those kinds of theories or those kinds. My, of, and, uh, and normally I don't. I, I normally don't do a lot mm-hmm. of theorizing that way, but you know, that's, I just seem like a good way to kind of, you know, if he does get himself to a, like a better place or he does kind of regroup with the rest of the batch that he still has this lasting negative legacy. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like he has to live with knowing that he's partly responsible for that. The, uh, my current like little connection, weird thing that I'm like not nitpicking, but so curious to see if we're going to get an answer about is, uh, Waiting for Jedi Survivor. Big fan of mm-hmm. Fallen Order. Uh, and I just read yep. that Battle Scars uh, book. Phenomenal. Loved it. And once again, characters. Good stuff. Loved it. But in yep. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Purge Troopers have different helmets than mm-hmm. in Jedi Fallen Order. So like in my head, I'm like, okay, five years. Like they probably have new helmets. But, you know, it's like a very clone phase one, phase two kind of deal for me. So in Jedi Survivor, which is supposed to take place around the same time as Obi-Wan Kenobi in theory, if there are any purge troopers in there, I'm going to be looking at their helmets. <laughs> That's my current like what, what, little... One of them is going to pop off and it's going to it's gonna have a crosshair space on it. And they just learn mm-hmm. hand-to-hand stuff. They do, like enter the Matrix. He, he knows Kung Fu. Like with little, uh, with little uh, uh, like Echo style cybernetic enhancements. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it makes like little chihuahua mm-hmm. barks. Well, he switches helmets. He takes off the purge trooper one and he's like, nah, I'm a death trooper. <laughs> <laughs> well, right mm-hmm. on. Sal, listen. 
I had a great time running through all of this stuff. There's so many things we could have kept on going with. Like there's like, I don't know how many books have come out. There's probably like 80 total canon books. So if you want to count all the like young reader stuff that we can dip and dive into the tons of comics. We didn't even talk about the Mandalorian at mm-hmm. all, which has been fire these last couple of weeks. Um, there was, I don't know if, I don't know if you know, there was, a yeah, I mean, I liked lightsabers. Mm-hmm. I like dark sabers too. You know, Hey, can't have one without mm-hmm. the other. As far as I'm concerned, I do want to see some more of this Mandalorian goodness and nonsense. Gorian shard. You'll bring it. I love that. Uh, who was like Kyle Katarn online was like, these two guys live in the same universe and it was him and Luth and rail. Like, hell yeah, they do. Give me that salad shooter man. And, uh, my, my cigar shop and baseball manager in the same universe. I'm all about that, but we're going to start to wrap this up here. Sal. I want to say thank you for coming on. We've been like dancing around trying to get me getting you on the show and like with schedules and everything and you being living three years in the past or uh, three hours in the past. I'm sorry. Time zones are goofy three years. Uh (laughs) Um, Yeah. We could all go back to three years ago. Um, One of these days we'll make it to the world um, between worlds and it'll line up again. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Um, but um, for anybody who doesn't know, um, where can um, where can my listeners find you and what you're doing with the Rogue uh, Rebels? Yeah, you can check out everything at theroguerebels.com. We have a podcast. It's up everywhere you get podcasts. If you follow any social media, usually we're The Rogue Rebels, except on Twitter where we are Rogue Rebels fam. Uh, but like Instagram is probably where you can see, you know, like we do costuming and stuff. So that's probably where you're going to have the most fun seeing pictures of our super cool lightsabers from our lightsaber guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but TikTok, we do a little, little videos on TikTok too. So yeah. Well, awesome, man. Listen, I'm, I'm glad I got to have you on. I'm glad we got to get into the weeds and uh, like the shit that I've learned just about like you and like your family. Now you guys do all this stuff. First of all, I think it's great that all of you guys have been involved, even though the kids are a little bit older now and they're kind of doing their own thing. Lizzie's in school. Good on her and uh, good on Axel for whatever he's doing. Learning, playing guitar. Yeah, yeah right? totally. Shredding. He's a shredding. Um, so good on all you guys. And every time I see like when you guys would be at some events, whatever, like there was like that little shred of envy. But I was like, just like, man, it's fucking cool. This is cool shit. So. What, we're going to do this again because we got a lot of books that we sure. can talk about. We'll, we'll probably hit up some reviews at some point. Um, but uh, that's going to do it for us, guys. Um, do you guys have any questions or comments or concerns? Do you want to yell at me about crosshair? Um, give me the middle finger like Sal just did for the last 10 minutes while I was talking about crosshair. He didn't do that, guys. I'm just Good joking. Um, you guys know where you can reach me. You can send me an email. Uh, comlink, C-O-M-L-I-N-K at jammed transmissions, jammedtransmissions.com. That's not easy to say. Thanks, Pete. Um, and you can find me on all the socials at Cat Bane's Bounty. You can follow the show on Twitter and Hive at JT Comlink and uh, on Instagram at Jam Transmissions. And uh, lastly, you can find myself and my son doing comic reviews for Broaxium, uh, doing some quick shots for them as uh, when whenever Chris gives us the call up to uh, to do some of that stuff. And, um, you know, wherever you listen to the show, make sure that you're subbed so that you don't miss any of the uh, reactions that I'm doing. I'm doing two a week plus a regular show whenever I find the time or when uh, the good people like Sal uh, can make the time to come onto the show. Hashtag with me content. And, uh, talk about some stuff. That's what I'm talking about, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Um, and um, 
yeah, so you just uh, make sure you rate and review and tell your friends what we're doing over here at Jam Transmissions. And until next time, which will be next Wednesday after Chapter 19 of The Mandalorian, may the Force be with you. Uh, hi, I have a question. My name's Donald Faze. I'm a huge fan of Star Wars So how soon can we expect the Sabine Rim uh, Ahsoka Tana show? I don't know. You don't know? Obviously, it's intriguing. I have this crazy thing. I have to know what the story's about before I tell it. You know what it's about. Then look at my answer room.